Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. This is our Q&A show. Every week I post a personal development question on my Facebook page at Agent K Miller. You're welcome to join. Uh, and we want to hear the real world testimonies of people's journeys to change and grow. In this episode, our topic is your health. How is it? Are you dealing with any issues in our series here, giving focus to our bodies and minds, which are the vehicles for all the goals and efforts that we do. I went to the Ziegler audience to find out what they are dealing with. I simply ask what is a health issue you're currently dealing with or have recently overcome big and small issues were shared, of course. And I brought Dr. Randy James, our guest from show 695 back to address the comments. And we addressed issues such as autism and open heart surgery and tinnitus and achy knees, Lyme disease, and more. And, and friends, I'll tell you, Randy is a paradigm shifting doctor. He continued to just ramp up as we talked to the point where if you're short on time, I'd encourage you even just to go to the 25, 30 minute mark and listen from there as he really just starts uh, getting profound with some of the overall messaging here. Uh, this is not a prescriptive telemedicine type thing, but what you'll hear is this common thread of a Addressing our foundation instead of always trying to zero in on an ailment here or there that's manifesting, which is a symptom ultimately, uh, which means the overall message here gives us all hope and tangible methods that we can all address. Uh, you can connect more with Dr. James at his practice at truelifemedicine.com or our new show together, The True Life Show. Just got a great review there. And our industry-changing alternative to traditional health insurance, True Life Protect, medical cost sharing. I'll start here with Dr. James as soon as I share some resources I think will be of value to you. Okay, well, here we hit the comments again to the question I posted, what is a health issue you're currently dealing with or have recently overcome? So I bring you now Dr. Randy James. Okay, so we have a lot of people who submitted a lot of things, and I brought you here today, Dr. James, to heal everybody. You ready? <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this. All right, well, I'm just going to start reading through them, and uh, I think we'll hear a similar thread from you as we go down. Tiago here uh, talked about his son having autism. And I, I ask about that, you know, what are they doing? He says, long story, but they're going through, he, he actually addressed in the school district, what they're doing in school, school programs. He gets, and I don't even know, what is that? SDP, yes, speech, speech therapy, uh, physical therapy, physical therapy okay. OT and OT, all of that. ABA yeah. at school, uh, after school, he gets speech, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, autism. Is, right. Yeah. So, gosh. So I'm thinking about the, the big, this huge epidemic of autism that has washed over the country and of course it brings in the vaccine controversy and uh the and, and so firstly i would speak to the great pain and concern of parents and as parents we ourselves um and and you know i've got i've got um autoimmune frustrations in my own family and and so addressing first of all the idea that no, that we we do not know that the human body is infinite, and it can, therefore there are infinite ways it can go wrong. Uh, but what I what I would do is I would approach anybody in the autism spectrum, which, by the way, I think as we look at this issue from top down, and I would look at Kevin and I would look at 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 this family and say we are all on the spectrum. Yeah, that 
nobody out there has a perfect brain with perfect thinking. Everybody can be a little too anxious or a little too focused or a little too type A or a little too type whatever. And it, it's very frustrating when we live in a world that wants to put our brains in a box and say this is normal and that's not normal. Mm. And so it is right to think through the lens of a spectrum and to not get all caught up in labeling something as this or that. Okay, well, that being said, parents clearly know and say, well, yeah, my child, something is not right, whether it's subtle or whether it's obvious and severe. And it sounds like this particular family has already been availed to the state programs, which I'd say are are great. And in that context, then, um, what doesn't tend to get addressed is what's going on metabolically. So as you're doing speech path and occupational therapy and and all of those things, my thought is to also think about the underlying metabolic dysregulations that are likely going on. And so number one, we don't know what is exactly going on. It's infinite and into this world, this foggy world of autism, what is going on in that child's brain um, we have a lot, a lot more knowledge than we did, you know, even 10 years ago. So from the functional lens, I would say it is worth, and, and of course here you and I talked, we, we can't diagnose or treat over the radio in this particular family, who knows what's going on. But I, I would say there's enough data, it's worth right off the bat to, and I struggle, you know, how specific do we get, but cutting out the processed foods. Mm-hmm. And you've heard me say this a million times. I would for sure not do dairy or gluten or corn products or soy products. Those are the kind of the top four food processing problem areas. And so right off the bat, I would do, I would say, yeah, cross the line and do a hundred percent elimination for 100 days, hundred days, hundred percent. And of course that might be very, in this particular, they might have issues where they just won't eat other food. And And I would say, yeah, I, I know. And, I've got a very picky son as well, but whatever it takes that you get 100 days, 100% of not doing those kinds of processed foods. Um, and then in our practice, you know, I think there's great value in looking at labs, what is going on with vitamin D, with the omegas. And the other area I would look at is heavy metals, you know, and especially if there's been um, uh, teeth cavities, if there's metals on the, in the teeth, if you, if you live in a certain area where we all heard about Flint, Michigan, well, how, how excellent is your water supply? And what about this unique individual with those water supplies? And to answer the whole vaccine question, in, in my mind, there is no definitive answer in this, in this world. And it's very controversial. And I would say, if you approach it through the public health lens, we can prove that vaccines are not harmful. If you approach it through the individual lens, then you can never prove that it's not harmful in this unique individual yeah. on that particular day in this infinite context. So for, for this family, as you're doing speech path and all those kind of things, I think it's, it's easy to say, look aggressively at an elimination diet for three months or 100 days and reassess. Almost all autism spectrum people have GI inflammatory responses to something in their environment. And so 
it's a place to it, start. Yeah, it, it brings me to feeling like you're just saying it is obviously it's always individualized, but we're talking about somebody here who has a higher propensity to suffer from the normal things of kids. And we, we have kids who, you know, range in age, gender, personality styles, whatever. And one of them does fine with less sleep. It does, does better, you know, does, right. everybody needs good sleep, but you have some people it, it doesn't seem to bother them as much or same thing with, you know, gluten or sugar or dairy or whatever. And then, but we've had kids, you have one. Um, I had one who had epilepsy and man, the things that we did for his wellness to try to bolster it were militant compared to the other ones. And that's what it took because he had a deficit and you're talking autism here or uh, whatever somebody may have and that they have, they're going to struggle at, at a greater degree from the, the normal things that we'd all be better off to avoid. But I, th- so in a sense, the, the analogy is they are the canary in the coal mine. So mm. You know, at a certain level down, the canary is going to suffer in that context more than the human. Yeah. But it gives the human the the right kind of vision. And we could say, I would argue that this autism epidemic is kind of a canary in the coal mine. And instead of oxygen, the environmental issues going on are the kinds of things that we talk about. The, the food situation in America is it's just disastrous. The industrialized food production system and how we raise our animals and how we're producing this food. And people have a false idea that, oh, it's modern and the FDA and the government is protecting us. And it's just not the case. Not that uh, – granted, it is clean. It is, there, there, it is better than it could have maybe been in the past. In the past, there were other problems with other kinds of, of hygiene issues. But we have so many new chemicals introduced into our society year after year that don't go through testing. We have the situation like Flint, Michigan, and and everybody's on a water spectrum. And so this young boy, I assume he's a boy, is he's the canary in the coal mine, and the tip over plopped him into this thing we call the spectrum. And, And the most sensitive instrument in your entire body is your brain. And his brain is perceiving something is not right, and there's an inflammatory process. Is it because of just gluten? And for heaven's sakes, no, we're not saying that. But gluten, in the context of XYZ vaccine, in the context of maybe he didn't get enough sleep that night, in the context of he got too many Fruit Loops that morning for breakfast, and also maybe his friend was mean to him, and he had a, a, an emotional response to that, and then one day he tipped over. One day he was fine, and the next day he's not. That's so scary for a parent. It's it's so frustrating to try to get help in our society. And and our society is responding with the appropriate speech path and physical therapy and all those kind of things. But if you don't go underneath the hood and into the metabolism, I don't think you're going to have as much success as you otherwise could. Which, as we go into the other uh, some of the other comments here, I think is that threat, that's going to be true for all of us. Well, here's one right here. Tim Tupper. He says, since my open heart surgery a couple years ago, I get out of breath really easy and wear out quickly. If I overdo it, it can take my body up to three days to recover. Also, I've gained about 30 pounds from the medications that are supposed to be helping me. Well, I'll give you a little backstory. I know Tim, uh, I'm going to guess he is early fifties, uh, 
at most. Very young. Yeah. So for this to have happened, obviously, is not the norm of what we think of. And this was an active guy, a joyful guy. And now here he uh, here he is. And it's easy to be in that scenario. And I think, well, it's downhill from here. And that's daunting, especially when you're early 50s. Right. And so I'm going to assume that there was a congenital problem and that this wasn't a consequence of drastic, you know, smoking all the time and yeah, way and overweight. I, I, no. Uh-uh. Okay. So you yeah. know the guy. And yeah. so, so here's a congenital issue and he needs a heart valve replacement or something like that. And then, so on one hand, we would say, okay, well, this is mechanical. Right, something is wrong, and, and that's where I'd say, thank God we live in America. We've got insurance and surgeries and, and amazing stuff. And, and otherwise, theoretically, Tim would be much worse off, that the heart would quit working, and uh, uh, 500 years ago, he would have just died in his 40s or something like right. that. So, but, you know, here's a young, active guy who's in his 50s, and he, you know, like the rest of us, wants to look forward to a productive life into his mid-80s, and go skiing and hiking and all of that. And so in this recovery mode, and so so what I think I can offer is what that sounds like. And we only have a few sentences and is in many people in the in the face of post surgery, so there's a stress and a trauma, or other people in in a state of chronic uh chronic reaction or chronic stress, chronically in a I feel like I just had surgery sort of place, whether in their mind or even in their body. And so if we use Tim's lens to say, man, I had this big thing and it feels like it tipped me over. And even if, so we're several months post-op and the doctors have said, yes, you need to go walk and do physical therapy and get your body back and that kind of thing. What this sounds like is that that when he says, it takes me three days to recover from a a two-mile walk that I I would have done easy before. And so that brings up the, the, the context of the, the idea of adrenal strain. And so hormonally, whether it's from the trauma of a scalpel or the trauma of a bullet wound, your body will respond to that in a way in, as, as trauma, that the body doesn't know the difference between a scalpel and a bullet wound. So it is now responding in at least in part, all of us on the scale or the spectrum of a fight-or-flight response, like, oh, my gosh, this hurts. Pain always does that. Or my expectations aren't met. I'm under stress because I can't do that. Or the real feeling that he wakes up the next day and he should be recovered, but he's as tired as he was right after the exercise. So exercise now is exhausting as opposed to exhilarating. That's the key word. And, and so then I would say, Tim, I don't know if this is what's going on in you because you've also got these medicines going on. But for many people out there, whether the insult is a surgery or a bad day at work or 10 years of dealing with maybe an autism or a special needs child, that, there is, that exercise then turns into something that you are recovering from, especially if it goes to, into the two or three day mark. If most of us would go on a hard run or something like that and have a few hours of recovery and and wake up the next day ready to do it again. And so Tim is not in that place, and that makes me think the adrenal system is sort of running on fumes, and that's where people will say, I'm just out of gas. I can't recover. I'm just kind of tired all the time. And that's where I'd say in his case the 
the, the, if we say the fight-or-flight system, in medically speaking, the sympathetic nervous system has been turned on so much it's, have a, it's having a hard time turning off. The opposite, opposing parasympathetic nervous system, which on one hand you have fight or flight, and on the other hand you have the opposite of that is rest and digest. And in Tim's case, I'd say, but rest effectively. Mm-hmm. He's not resting effectively where his energy returns and there's recuperation and restoration. He's staying in the exhausted place. So what I would, what I would actually tell him is now is not the time because many Americans say, you know what? I'm just going to, I got to exercise. I'm going to work. You would say this, Kevin. I'm just going to work harder and really pull myself out of this. And I would say, no, don't do that. Go backwards a little. Don't not exercise. Don't not do your PT and those kind of things. But for another few weeks or maybe even months, your exercise might be the soft stuff. Mm -hmm. The yoga, the Tai Chi, Pilates, stretching, breathing, those kinds of things. And the emphasis would be then on, in, in his particular case, I'd say, we need to look at sleep. Is he sleeping well? Is there any worry about oxygenation during the sleep? Does he have a silent sleep apnea? So those, those would then be the medical questions I would start. Well, and that's what I you know, go and wonder about because this is the consummate place to be, whether you're, regardless of age, but you have a handicap. You have a disability is what he has. And that we start slowing down. And that's the scary thing because we know that that just is a continual path of, of slowing down. And so we're coming around going, okay, yeah, I would, obviously I'm looking at guys, how can I fuel myself? How can I recover? How can I do things to give myself, as you often say, the best chance, give my body the best chance to stop the reverse, you know, stop the decline. If not to, if not reverse and to increase as well. And it's, and, and that's so in a sense, if we use the idea of spectrum, we are yeah. all on the spectrum of incapacity, yes. of disability. Yeah. And if if your if if your scale is at zero, then that's a person we'd say they're dead. They they've got zero capacity. But even somebody who's a quadriplegic or something like that, they're breathing, they're thinking, they're talking, they're, they have capacity. And then over on the physical side, I mean, I can't deadlift however many pounds, so I'm incapable. I have a disability. My ability to ride a bike up a hill compared to you, I am disabled. And I'm not so disabled as compared to a dead guy over here, but we're all on the spectrum. And we all want to be moving the needle forward with increased capacity and capability. And Tim has, has had this surgery. So that's he took a hit. And now he's recovering, but we're all on the scale with him. But I like how you said it's not that, so he doesn't need to go out and say, okay, I'm going to, I got to ramp things up. I'm going to run a marathon or lift weights. No, but you didn't say stay on the couch. Right. You still have to do those things to help the body have the best chance to increase its capacity. Right. Continue it. And that's where if he was a patient, then I'd say, okay, let's, what is the vitamin D and what right. is the, the underlying metabolic situation going on? How's the inflammation? Why is he on these meds? And that would be the individual questions. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. 
Well, here's one on the, we've got, you know, of course, acute things and, and devastating things and, and things that are, are not, this would be on a lesser scale, but my gosh, Mason, uh, Basak here, he says tinnitus, he says, I'm a drummer and it's entirely my fault and there's nothing you can do, but live with the constant noise. My brain has decided to create, uh, he says, I've had it for 41 years, too many concerts. As a kid, uh, let's see, he says, I invested in some nice ear monitors a while back, which allows me to enjoy the full sound without further damage. But yeah, that's one in my little understanding of that seems like people get it and they figure that's it for life. So let, let's clarify, because people often confuse that with tendinitis. So he, he oh. said tinnitus, which means ringing or buzzing in the ears. And yeah, he's a drummer and, uh, you know, hard, hard music when he was younger. And so... In all likelihood, for for him, for this unique individual, the con the the reason for that is noise trauma. So people in the military, gunshot, gunfire, um, and when it happens mechanically like that, you're right. There is not much you can do. Um, that is noise trauma. But there are some things you can do. And over here, we have a lot of people that have ringing in the ears, and we call it tinnitus. And, and it's for no apparent reason. So famously in American medicine, we have a lot of diagnoses. And, and the first paragraph in the pathology textbook will say no known cause and no known cure. Hmm. And in fact, that's, that's many of them is idiopathic. We don't know exactly why these people get it. And we can manage it. We can treat it. But how do you cure it? That's a different question. So, so to those two groups of people... Um, so even in his case, I would say, well, how much of the tinnitus is noise trauma and how much of the tinnitus might be metabolic or other things going on? And those people tend to ultimately wind up with a diagnosis maybe of many years or, or some odd kind of diagnosis. And I would say the important part is not what we call it, but what are we going to do about it? So in my opinion, uh, tinnitus can be best described by saying it's it's a form of inflammation. Hmm. And so very simplistically, if we say, let's rub poison ivy on your skin or something like that, it creates a dermatitis. Hmm. And you look at that and you say, yeah, that's itchy. It's red. It's inflamed. Imagine that in your inner ear. Okay. Red, itchy, inflamed. In fact, that's even back with autism or depression or anxiety. Imagine your brain. Imagine brainitis. Inflammation in the brain. And you, one person perceives it as anxiety and, the, and another person might perceive it as, as OCD and somebody else has autism. And imagine that in your inner ear. So the, the neurological perception going to the brain is perceiving things not as they really are. Mm-hmm. It hears noise when noise isn't there. So it's kind of like you look at, you know, it could be an itch on your skin. There's nothing there, but I perceive an itch. So how do we give the body a different context, a signal to turn down abnormal signals to turn up normal? And, of course, now we're back to, well, don't blast the ear with noise trauma. That would be number one. And, you know, to, to just tolerate a little better, better, a lot of people do white noise and things like that to create a context where it might be turning things down. And then on the inside, metabolically, I would say, what are the most famous in, uh, inflammatory turning, uh, you know, upregulation of inflammation that we do. And we're back to, well, what do you eat? How do you sleep? What is the metabolic environment of the body? And so famously for the, for the ear, for uh, 
tinnitus is sugar. And secondly, might be the, and I have to be careful here, you know, fungal or the yeast connection or candidiasis. And I don't want to overstate that. I do want to say it is a factor. We live in a world where we have all these toxins. The body has to respond to it. Um, but I think the, the biggest toxin that we live under is just too many carbs, too much sugar all the time, all the time, all the time. And so to our drummer here, I'd say, well, heck, why not just try going to the extreme of 100 days, 100% of very, very low carb and no processed sugar. It won't hurt you and it might help. And that's the interesting one. We've seen that folks. I gotta, I gotta say, and you know, testimony to, to Randy, to the, to his practice and patients, so many of them where, uh, just getting the inflammation out of their system has helped in so many ways. We saw that recently with my dad, Dan Miller, who's got, you know, public testimony on being a patient with you and so many things he was dealing with. And just initially you had him fast some, just get everything out. And just from that alone, doing some fasting and cutting out some key inflammatory foods increased his well-being. So, so it surprised him and, you know, incredibly surprised him because uh, he wasn't continuing to get that poison that caused him again, that problem. And we all, we, we're smiling because we're all on the spectrum. We're all on the spectrum. Well, let me, let me share that. You know, I, I, uh, and this is not a, uh, a, uh, I can't say this about everybody's back problems and about, uh, chiropractic. I've been a lifetime patient of chiropractic and, and dealt with back problems, but as they ramped up about a year ago, that's been longer than that, I guess, a year and a half ago or so ramped up. And I was having these times of I, uh, being immobile tweak my back back goes out is what people say and literally just couldn't move uh and thought I, I, this is not sustainable for me and it didn't make sense because i would recover really quick the next day i might be okay again again this feels more than musculoskeletal long story short and it was through talking with you talking with jane the health coach here in the practice and realizing some foods i was having and in my case it was nightshades which is what's that potatoes peppers what, what else? eggplant yeah, uh, and tomatoes Toma being, yeah. okay yeah so some some nightshades which again you eat them doesn't seem to bother you but i ate them and for me it was causing inflammation in a perfect spot uh, imperfect spot in me that may have uh, joined an injury from the old cycling days or something like that and it would put my back out after getting rid of those nightshades cold turkey uh, for me when i was eating a lot of peppers especially my back's strong again that's you can't you can't yeah. write it. There's no cookie cutter approach. Hey, folks, this happened to me. Nobody eat nightshades. Or, right. That was me. The, the idea is that you would write a book and say, "I'm going to save the world exactly. from back pain." Exactly. And and we have so many of those books out there. People whose you know, there's a vitamin K book. Everything can be you know better with vitamin K or vitamin C because or vitamin it helps D. somebody. Yeah. It, because it helps somebody. So and now we have the internet where somebody's going to post you know go lick tree bark in the trees outside and help my heal my something. And so one thing that's, I think, very important to say about inflammation is we live in a world that right now is also blaming inflammation for all ills. And so my trick question that I ask people is always, Kevin, is inflammation good or bad? And I would say you bad. would say that's, bad. And, and I would say, well, what is, what, describe a human with no inflammation, zero inflammatory response. And of course, my famous one is they are. They don't exist. They are dead. Okay, they're it's, dead. But I mean, we would think if you were perfect, you were superhuman perfect, you ate perfect, you slept perfect. You, you still you have born, inflammation. You were born perfect. You would have less, but okay. But, the, but coming back it's, to it, 
It's, 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 it but is. what can we do in an acute state to lower the inflammation? Well, do you want, do you really want less inflammation? Let's say you accidentally eat, you know, church picnic mayonnaise, right? And you now have salmonella. Mm-hmm. Do you want less inflammation? You want it to stay in you, or do you, would you like to be highly inflammatory and poop twenty times a day until that <laughs> thing is out of you? <laughs> All right, that's what you want. That's what's saving your life. So, right. no inflammation is is AIDS. That's an acquired immune deficiency, or you could say inflammation deficiency. Now, on the other side, if you're inflaming all the time to everything, do you know the famous disease that's related to hmm. is lupus? Oh. So lupus means a, a autoimmune response. So you're responding, you're, you're inflaming to your own skin, your own blood, your own hair. And, of course, that's a miserable existence. So you, if you sprain your ankle, it should be swollen right. and red. Your body is telling you, Kevin, get off the ankle, put it up, rest for three days. That's awesome. That's what's keeping you alive. And actually, that's going on with every breath you take. What do you do, what do, you do after you breathe in? Breathe out. Right. What do you do after you drink water? Uh, pee? <laughs> yeah. And that's an inflant. You are getting the toxins out yeah. and getting rid of them and pulling in the good, the things that you need from the water and the food and the breath and the air. But every breath has a piece of dust or a pollutant. Yeah. You inflame and then you get it out. If that, pro- you know, we could, if you stopped breathing out, what would happen? In three minutes, I would pass out. <laughs> you would die because. Yeah. The infl- you, your body cannot sustain getting rid of this inflammation process. Even if we, if we cellophaned all of your skin, you would last about a week. But the, you can't get rid of the toxins. We could pinch off your urethra. That would, <laughs> Great. Let's yeah. do that. That would hurt. But you would die in about 30, maybe you know, a day or two. Because you, you're, so inflammation is going on intracellularly every second, every day, all the time. Don't blame inflammation. The problem is, how are you triggering it? Are you continuing to not get enough sleep and overtrain and eat too much of these kinds of foods or those kinds of foods? Well, back to like you were talking with Tim, recovery. Are you, are you not? That's right, because you're living in a hostile world. Uh-huh. And the A, number one thing that you do that is the famous anti-inflammatory is not take a vitamin C every morning. It is to get restful, rhythmic, effective, efficient sleep. That is number one. And all of our listeners out there probably these days are averaging, and they'll say, oh, about six to seven. Yeah. It's not enough. Yeah. You won't last an effective 80 years. You will linger. Well, and then I always want to point out the ones that are saying, no, man, I get eight all the time. And then, of course, how good of sleep How's your oxygenation? And, yeah. of course, we live at high altitude. That's a, that's a factor. And Well, I just found myself, you know, I'm getting eight hours, but then if it's bad quality and I'm tossing and turning because of, you know, what I ate or stress or, or whatever. Okay, well, we're on inflammation. I want to read this next one because I, I assume it's going to be right in there. Brian Lynchard, he says, he's calling it jumper's knee. Maybe you've heard that. I haven't heard that jumper's knee from playing pickleball, uh, which is a surprise to me seeing as how much I've been hiking for the last few years. I would have thought my knees could handle a little pickleball right now. I'm just resting it. I just picked up the sport at the beginning of the year and I had been playing once or twice a week with no problems until recently. I played through the pain last Tuesday and haven't played since hoping that it will only take a week or two of rest. But at my age, I've had 
other overuse injuries that have taken months. And I'm smiling at the age thing because uh, I mean, you and I, so you're, I'm, I'm just, I'll be turning 49. You turned 50 and we're at that age where we have peers who are saying, I, yeah, I, I just don't do, I don't play that sport. Like you said, I don't ski. That's a big one around here. You know, I, I don't ski anymore, achy knees and things like that. And it's age. Right. And I'm, posting picture videos of there was a recent one that was just awesome with this 91 year old dude sprinting and it wasn't just that he was sprinting it wasn't that he just won it it was his form i mean he was sprinting he was literally it wasn't just a 90 year old like a 90 year old no, he looks man, like a runner the dude is and i'm and we look at that and think, ah, he's superhuman and i'd like to know his history but either way so here we are with brian and uh, you know so I, I would say first of all brian uh don't blame anything on age and let's be let's be wise about this. Does increasing age increase the risk? And the answer is yes, of course. You know, mostly old people are the ones that die. So age is a critical factor. But does everybody at fifty have jumper's knee? And the answer is no. So why do some do and some don't? We're back to well, how did they live their history? So age is a factor. But we have grown up in a culture that says, ah, yeah, I'm fifty. What do I expect? Well. You and I, we expect to stay skiing when we're 80, and that's very rational. That's not pie in the sky. But the question is going to be for me between 51 and 81, how do I sleep? How do I feed? (laughs) And turn your phones off and and podcast. (laughs) Well, I thought you were going to say, and how do I live today to be your, your line, be becoming? How, what am I doing today to be becoming? I mean, you and I, four years ago when we started sharing an office, or we're saying, you know, how do we be the 80 year old guy who can do 10 pull-ups? Well, I better be doing 10 pull-ups or more every day. 15. Now. Yeah. Oh, 15, right. <laughs> 15, uh, maybe 20 if you're Andy. Um, but what are we doing right now? So, you know, I don't know Brian's history. I mean, for, I mean and also he's talking, you know, how many people's, when you said how many people's knees ache, and I don't know how old Brian is. I'm going to guess, you know, our, our age, middle age or whatever, how many are having sore knees from jumping. And my first thought was a lot of them don't because they don't jump anymore. I mean, that's, that's not I, being it, becoming the type of person. So if they're, you know, how much are you doing now? He's feeling like he was active, but yeah, hiking and jumping, it's a different well, stress. And and I know pickleball and, and, and like it. It's a, I grew up doing a lot of tennis, and tennis is different because you're, you're on a very hard surface and, and all of those kind of things. So it could be related to those things. But let's, if we use Brian as our muse and we talk about you know, middle-aged people who are doing a new sport, one of the other things is, so don't blame your age. And, and then secondly, he said, I played through the pain. Mm-hmm. So that is... I get it. We live in a country that teaches men especially, you know, don't cry, take a Motrin, drive on, don't complain. You're just getting older, play through the pain. And I would say, well, that's, you know, no offense to Brian, but it's just, it's not smart. God gave us the blessing of pain to tell us don't do that. Now, again, if we're in a, in a foxhole, if we're on the front lines of a football game, Kevin, I don't want to hear about your headache right now. Right, right, right. That now is not the time. But after that football game, and if you say, gosh, my knees are aching, what, are, what am I going to do? And we might say, hey, for a week, don't play through the pain. Allow healing, but how is your body going to heal? If you're throwing a bunch of inflammatory foods, if you're not getting good rest at night, and for Brian, I would say, if you're not doing, if you're not stretching the muscles surrounding your knees, so that pre-patellar, uh, that patellar tendonitis, the, the famous you know jumper's knee kind of thing, and you're not stretching out those muscles and, and increasing the joint 
capacity for movement, you won't heal, and pretty soon you'll stop playing pickleball because yeah. your body's just. Well, I was going to. You said heal. I was going to ask about that. Not to make this all about inflammation, but if we go out, uh, I mean, yesterday I went out and and rode is my fastest mountain bike ride, you know, of the season. So I I broke. I was breaking myself down, stressing those muscles. They should be inflamed. I mean, when I weight lift, and you know, the kids talk about, oh, dad's swole. You know, my arms are all, I mean, they're bloated with that inflammation. And you're saying that's good. That's the body's appropriate response. Now though, it has to recover. So in Brian's case here, am I correct in layman's terms and saying, okay, so he played, he broke down his body, you know, inflamed around those muscles, joints, whatever that he stressed, he's not recovering. Right. That, and that's a paradigm shift rather than blame the trigger. Let's put more emphasis on lack of resolution. Okay. His inflammatory process is not effectively resolving. And could that be from a deficiency of omega-3s and vitamin D and hyaluronic acid? It is a paradigm shift, though, because, yeah, you think, oh, he must have a weakness, a weak knee, a weak muscle, a weak tendon. And you're saying, of course, we don't know, maybe, maybe not, or maybe he's somebody next to him who has the same musculoskeletal makeup but is able to recover, and he's not. That's right. That's interesting. And, and we have many people out there, whether it's jumper's knee or whatever, that have a tendonitis, achy joints. What, now, so on one hand, there's the tendonitis side of that, and on the other hand, there's the intra-articular joint surface and, and an osteoarthritic picture. Yeah. But everybody, middle-aged and above, if, if they've had an x-ray done, there will so often be degenerative changes seen by the radiologist. And, and, and they call it normal, expected level of degenerative changes. And I would say, well, of course, part of that is age. Again, we live in a world where I would look at Kevin at 49 and say, yeah, you got some wrinkles. We don't expect a 49-year-old skin to look like you're 10. Right. But if you're 49 and you look like you're 80, I'm going to say you've done some hard living. Yeah. Right? The wrinkles look that way. And so the question is, on the spectrum, how do I be becoming a guy who's fit, becoming 52 with less wrinkles than I could have had or less tendonitis or less articular damage? Well, it doesn't mean go do nothing and sit on the couch. That's actually bad for all of those joints and tendons. That's yeah. worse. Inactivity. But hyperactivity or overactivity, and he called it an overuse syndrome, and I'd say, you know, if you're a middle-aged guy doing pickleball twice a week, that is not overuse. Yeah. That is lack, That is under-recovery. And I would say back off, heal, so that Brian in maybe three months can be becoming the kind of guy who plays pickleball every day aggressively and heals appropriately, and he's doing it when he's Well, 80. and I'm sure you're, I'm going to ask a question that you're going to say yes to all of them, granted, but that if you were able to see him, talk to him, uh, and, and, and audit him in some sense – would it be fair to say you're going to be looking at, is it a strength issue that he is, you know, he's weak and he's just not up to speed for that. He's going to have to strengthen himself. Or you mentioned a minute ago, uh, it sounded like a, almost like a stretching, you know, stretching yeah. things is another thing. Or what if those things were great? Or is it possible that, it, it, that those things are great and he is just not recovering? And we look at why, and then it might be lifestyle like that. He's not sleeping well. He's not eating well. He's blah, blah, blah. But either way, it's those three, are those your three quadrants of, Three quadrants, Kevin. Three quadrants, <laughs> pillars, uh, which I love. Well, how do you yeah. have three quads that are <laughs> quads? <laughs> I, I didn't get that. Yeah, that's right. That's mad. You have, you have brainitis. Yeah, I don't. I'm um, not a doctor. So, 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 yes, and the answer, of course, is going to be all the above interwoven. Mm -hmm. And if you have a tendon 
that gets appropriately stressed called exercise and that there's microfiber breakdowns and those kind of things. And then on the recovery phase, if, if maybe his issue is he's got a good tendon but he's not recovering, then that equals a tendon that won't stretch, right? Then you yeah. tighten up. And the next day, he, he, because of the tightness, he might have damaged it even a little bit more. And so is the answer to just be very limber and stretch? And I would say, well, for some people, yes. But for all of us, yes, have a stretched muscle and tendon, have a strong muscle and tendon, have a recovered and a recovery process of uh, which is sleep and those kind of things. And then the fourth part of those quadrants, I would say, is how are you fueling? And we're back to nutrition. And not just nutrition, but are you chewing your food slow enough? Are you eating in the car where the body's confused about what's going on? Are, are, is your gut messed up with reflux and things like that? And, you, and people say, well, I'm eating really well. And I say, well, how are you absorbing? How are you assimilating? How are you evacuating? All of that is giving your body the tools for recovery. And now we're back to the infinitely complex human being, yeah. even though we're just talking about somebody's knee. But, and, and this is the thread that I knew we would come to. It's still, you know, regardless of what are we doing to help our bodies have the best chance of success. You know, here's somebody, uh, Christine Odell. She says, I'm fortunate. My husband's 65. I'm almost 52. Zero health issues. Zero prescription medications. We rely 100% on our chiropractor and proper nutrition uh, and supplements. That's great. I mean, that's, uh, well, I, I'm, I would smile at her and I would say, well, hang on. I bet I could find something wrong. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> but, is, uh, but kudos for, for not yes. having some Lots of manifesting thing, because we've got a lot of people coming in with, at those ages, especially with yes. so many things and yeah, back to, you know, achy knees. And we expect that like you've gotten us talking about, we expect it, you know, get up from the chair and, ugh, and, and, and your kids don't do that because they don't feel that. And why are we feeling that? And we pawn it off as age and, and the norm. Um, well, here, here's one that I know is, you know, as we started off talking about autism, that is a, I don't know if you'd say it's another epidemic or whatever. It's one of the many things that's just on the rapid increase. Ryan Oliver, he says Lyme disease. His wife has Lyme disease. It's been a challenge. She's had it for three years now. And of course we, you know, have, uh, you deal with that here in the office. We've got friends who, who have dealt with that, specialize in that. Um, talk a little bit about that because you're seeing it so much more Lyme. And I don't even know, you know, again, layman's terms where that fits into the mold aspect. And yeah, yeah. so we'll, if, if we could approach Lyme and, and put it in the realm of all of these, what I would call biotoxins. So Lyme, mold, um, even within your own body. So we all carry around staph and strep and a few hundred million, maybe trillion other critters in your microbiome and all of that. So again, recognize the fact that we as humans have been in a symbiotic relationship with all of these biological creatures in the world for a long time. And now, and it is sort of kind of an all of a sudden, why this expansive awareness of Lyme? And it is real, you know, whereas it's debatable and certainly highly debated in the medical community about, well, how do we test for it? And just like autism, why does one kid get a vaccine and and stop talking? 
And, 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 you know, in the Internet wars, you know, other moms blame other moms, whether they vaccinate or don't vaccinate or whatever, and just the controversy there. But the canary in the coal mine, this kid, and the mom's not crazy. She's like, yeah, he was fine. He got a shot. And, then, and you know, we all, many of us have had a tick bite. Mm. And one person might get a target lesion and, and have a swollen spot and then get some antibiotics and be just fine. And another person, it's a crippling situation. And the medical community really has done a poor job over the last few years of recognizing these syndromic situations. We've got the yeast syndrome, fibromyalgia as a immunodeficiency syndrome, the Lyme syndrome, and they just go on and on. The autoimmune stuff, the Hashimoto's, the thyroid, and, and a subset of these people, their triggering event, the tip over, is an exposure to... In, this, in, a, in a Lyme situation, a tick bite comes in that exposes the blood to these uh, uh, bacteria, and there's an immune response. So again, the, the real issue is, okay, what's the trigger? Lyme, mold, I had a really bad day at work or something, and I got tipped over. Or oftentimes, like with fibromyalgia, famously, a car wreck. Hmm. Not a crazy bad one, but a little whiplash, just gets tipped over, mm-hmm. um, and that response then bleeds over into oh my my neck my back which bleeds over into my tummy's now ache and what is going on and this is so common so again we're using this guy the lime or her his wife and we're not going to put her in the box of oh you're lime you get this protocol and you're going to come out the other end and and be well we, we, we say what's the unique situation in her life she might also need you to address and i'm sure she does her sleep yeah. her how does she how do we give her body to re, uh, what it needs to recover and so the way i think about this is i'll look at me and you and say we're not as capable as we could be although we don't have the really? typical symptoms of a lyme person but right now if i swab the back of your throat there will be strep but if you don't say my throat hurts and I have a fever, we don't call you strep throat. So what's the difference? Because you do have strep throat and staph. And as I talked yesterday with a patient, as we looked at the stool analysis and said, well, son of a gun, you've got a little bit of cholera in there or up here, Giardia in Colorado. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have bloody diarrhea and gassy, bloody, whatever problems, then we wouldn't say, oh, you have an infection of Giardia. We would just say, yeah, it, it's there. Just like strep is on your throat, and everybody who's listening, it's in their throat. Well, what's the difference between strep throat with fever and pain and not fever and pain? And I would say it's this incredibly complex and beautiful scenario that God designed of tolerance to our environment. The sun is shining on us right now, but you don't have a sunburn. But if you stayed in that sun for an hour, two, three, four, five, at some point, you flip over into what we would call a sunburn. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, this particular person got bit by a tick, and she has her own unique genetic situation. And maybe she was 30 or 40, and so she has 30 years of nutrition behind her, 30 years of sleep behind her, or malnutrition, or underslept, overstressed. And of course, now we're all like, oh, yeah. We're all on the spectrum of underslept, overstressed, undernourished. And then, boom, here's another toxin, just like everybody else. Every, and in this particular person's case, it gets tipped over. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, you, you paint the picture. I haven't thought about it this way of when you talk about that, that we all have strip, we all have this. I mean, it's all that, yeah, it's not, it's again, a, a different paradigm. It's a significant paradigm shift to look at that and say, we all are having these, uh, these battles going on our body today. My body is sitting here and it is either equipped to fight those things off or it is weakened. And that thing, that strep is going to come forth, come forward and manifest itself into that throat that I can't swallow anymore. And what, and I ultimately have to get antibiotics. So what am I doing today? Back to the be becoming to be the guy, to have the body that can fight it off. And I think we, I we talk, talk about it every day here in the practice. I did this. I had a, uh, a relational stress, uh, a work stress, a financial stress that beat me down, opened the door for the manifestation of this thing that I otherwise was able to fight off. Uh, we've seen that with, with sugar, with foods, you know, to bring those in. I mean, sugar comes in, it lowers what the body's immunity. I mean, it just weakens the body and can open the door. That's what we talked to the kids about. You could open the door because they've done that. They're going along and say, daddy, I, I had some of that sugar, whatever. Right away, my throat got sore. Uh, which sounds sensitive, but then it's back to your, the blessing of pain. How great that they're that sensitive to their bodies right away saying, Hey, 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 that's, that's too much. Because if I let them do it every day, they build up an immunity to somewhat, <laughs> probably a perform at a lower level. Well, and, and now you're, uh, you, you might have overstated the case there. Can you well, have of a course piece I of did. sugar <laughs> and get a sore throat from that? Right. I'd say well, that's, that's a little weird. And, so to, to use your analogy, but to nuance it a little bit, yeah. rather than saying it's a war okay. and use the word fight, I'd say it's a dance. There, there is nothing. What can I say? I'm fortifying my, I'm trying to fortify myself. I'm trying to build a yeah, wall you, against that. Yes. Okay. But, it, in, in, but everybody out there is going to think of a wall like humans think of a wall. But your body right now, your skin is, it's a semi-permeable wall. You need water to go through your skin. But you need it to keep out the bacteria. Right. And so, so just in my experience, if people think of a wall, it, it, it becomes too simplistic. And you, then people start to say, oh, we've got to write a book. No more sugar. We're going to outlaw sugar and, and, and create these stilted prop, you know, viewpoints, which is, again, going back to the vaccine thing, we have nearly a war going on about you know, anti-vaxxers and pro-vaxxers and whatever. Yeah. And it's just you're – both sides are being oversimplistic. Right. And so here we are in the middle with this transformative dance. And remember, not to give them too much credit, but the, the bacteria in your throat, they don't want you sick. They need you. So it, it, it's a symbiotic relationship with the world that we live in. And, of course, the world is imperfect. So we're all going to die. We, all, we can only sustain this war aspect of it for about 80, 90 years, and then we succumb. But it's how well do you sustain it, and I don't want to give the impression that if you eat right and, and do all this stuff, you never get sick. I'm like, no, humans get sick. But you're lowering your probability. You're lowering your probability. That's right. I guarantee you're going to die. And so we, we talk about death and taxes and all that. I would also put illness in there and wrinkles in there and all of these things. But do you, are you an 80-year-old that can get by, a, you know, look like a 60-year-old and go skiing, or are you 60 and you're already feeling 80? Yeah. I just oversimplified it. But if people can latch onto that, because you know, right after they hear this, they're going to go eat lunch, yeah. and they're going to make a decision. And like you said, 
Is it going to be Fruit Loops for breakfast? And your daughter says, oh, gosh, you know, I don't know. Did she really hurt or was she just thinking it and yeah. she's trying to make her daddy proud of her? <laughs> or, and to, but to, to, so we're trying to pass along. You're either going to eat and sleep with mindful, wise awareness or you're mindlessly eating. And, and, and of course, we want people to be mindful. And mindlessly living. And overall, mindlessly living. You know, you mentioned fibromyalgia. I didn't even see this one. Sarah Tipton here, she says fibromyalgia, 20 years. Much improved after cutting out white stuff. Sugar, yeah. flour, rice, potatoes, eating more protein. She cut out all diet drinks and caffeine. Uh, she's using mostly chiropractic, kinesiology, net therapy, mm-hmm. uh, acupuncture, walking, and weight machines at the gym. And so hats off to yeah. her and she's much better. But if, if we use fibro as, as another muse, you know, no known cause, there is no known cure. Uh, and, and here's where I would go to her and to the, those of us that are, and I say this jokingly, we are all, those of us who don't have fibromyalgia, we are all potentially pre-fibromyalgia. Right. So how do we eat, live, think, breathe in such a way as to lessen the chance of getting fibromyalgia? Well, don't get in a car wreck. Don't have a horse kick you. Don't fall off a roof. These are, we all know these things. And I would look at her and I would say, didn't you already know that sodas and white sugar, white flour, and all that stuff was already not the greatest thing? So here we look at, at, at all of us. I'm not blaming her and putting her in a different box than me. We're on the spectrum. And I would say, Randy... Uh, am I going to choose a convenient, easy fast food thing, you know, because I've just, I don't have enough time that is not going to fuel my body the way I'm increasing my probability of getting a fibromyalgia response. Here's an individual. And once the physiology flops into these syndromes, it's very hard to get out. And so now she's having to also employ readjustments with alignment and the net therapy and, and, and giving the body all of these other signals to, to get back on track. Yeah. So I would look at our children and those of us who don't have fibromyalgia and just say, well, why don't we go ahead and stop the sodas anyway? Right. Why don't we go ahead and prevention? Get, yeah, but we hate the word prevention. I know. I know. Okay. So Grand. the only way to measure if your preventive efforts have been successful is by counting disease. Because right now, you and I didn't walk in today and say, Kevin, no fibromyalgia. Dude, another day, high five. (laughs) No no hypertension or a thousand other – we don't think that way until you have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, headaches, fibromyalgia, whatever. The manifestation. And now – so prevention in America is – it's a very – this is a paradigm shift. And I would look at all of the doctors and whatever else, and I'd say, stop talking about prevention and talk about specific well promotion and define it. So Kevin Miller would say, I want to run a mile in six minutes at 9,000 feet. And I would say, define your well markers. Mm -hmm. If all you say is, I want to have my knees not have osteoarthritis, well, great. Go sit on the couch. Go walk. We don't know what to tell you to do. And that's why people get told, eat right and exercise. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's, it's a nonsensical, oversimplified way to do it. But every website on every insurance, uh, you know, talks about prevention and getting all these things done. And like, you know, mammogram is not breast cancer prevention. It's, it's detection. detection. It's death prevention. Yeah. But it, it has nothing to do with prevention. 
and, and I, I'm getting a little preachy there. <laughs> no, it's well, all right, well, and we've got, there's so many posts here. I'm going to read one more though because it speaks to the humanity of living life and having to make these decisions. Shauna McGowan, she says, I had felt healthy for most of my life, then I hit age 30 ish, and it was one thing after another: gallbladder removal, AVM in my brain, resulting in radiation and brain surgery, which resulted in ER surgery from a blood clot, then tonsils removed three years later. And I don't feel like I'm back to where I was before all this started. I find myself making excuses like this is just my new normal. But at the end of the day, I know it's just an excuse. I feel lazy and tired. And she has in quotes, foggy. Uh, it is because I make poor food choices and choose to exercise my brain and not my body. I definitely need to find my mental and physical equilibrium. That is the challenge. Gosh, that, that is well stated. The, well stated, yeah. and it's a nutshell of all of us. Everybody's brain is a little foggy, and she is now noticing. No, no, no. Mine is foggier than, and you know which of those surgeries tipped her over. Well, what led up to the need of a gallbladder surgery, yeah. right? And wow. and so it. You, I would encourage her. Don't don't look at these surgeries as the cause. And in fact, so another story and analogy is. We'll pick on Kevin if we say, okay, here's, here's a camel in front of us, and we're going to call the camel Kevin. And the question is, what straw broke the camel's back? Mm-hmm. And in your case of your, of your back pain, and I look at you and say, Kevin, what straw broke the camel's back? What would you say? Of my back pain? Yeah. What would you say? Uh, eating inflammatory foods. Right. That, well, you would say nightshade plant family right. foods. Yeah. And I would say, okay, I get it. That was the straw, but I realized that wasn't it. So what is it? Which straw? Who knows? The answer is all of them. All of okay, sure. The the, the, the past injuries, the the whole stress, the whatever, and the strength of the back, the genetic infrastructure of the human being himself. This is the strength of the back. So stay with this camel analogy, and now we've got her story. Where here's another straw called whatever led to gallbladder stones. Here's another straw of whatever led to an AVM. Uh, an atrioventricular malformation, which is likely genetic, and you know d- they just found it. But uh, and then the straw of the surgeries, like the first guy we talked about yeah. in the heart surgery, that's a big old straw. But if all you do is blame that last straw, you are oversimplifying, and you are not giving your camel the necessary attention and mindfulness to give all of these areas uh, a thought to say, okay, well, how do I remove straws? And strengthen the camel's back and give the camel better air to breathe, you know. And what if this camel, uh, whoever that person is now, goes home to a really stressful marriage or goes home to, in Colorado, it's a dog state. So I don't know how many times people say, oh, my gosh, my dog is sick. This is crushing me. Or the, you know, one guy, a $1,000 a month vet bill. That's crushing. On and on it goes. These are all straws. So to... To encourage her, I would say change your mindset of not accepting a new normal, but to say, okay, don't blame those surgeries and you can't change the past anyway, but you can change how you think about that past. And for somebody who's stuck into, I'm a little depressed, I'm a little brain fog, uh, it's very hard to say, don't eat these easy foods. And I get it. And that's why in our practice, we come along, you know, with a health coach, with a nutritionist and uh, thinking about all of these kinds of things, because it isn't just, oh, you need an antidepressant. 
a pill or whatever that could help. But what else is going on in there? Mm-hmm. Well, this is what I was hoping for. Uh, was just these continual threads. Uh, and I hope people hear hope yes. uh, in this, that no matter what it is, whatever the symptom, whatever the manifestation, whatever the, the, the straw that broke. Uh, well, I, I love that analogy. I got me thinking about straws that today I, I have straws. How many am I going to, am I going to load some more on and hope for the best? Am I going to try to offload some? That's a, good, you are. that's a good book right there. Something about straws because oh, oh, we, we are, we're either taking them on when that stress happens to know that I just took some on when the good rest happens. I just took some off and or, there's or, the dance. Uh, I was going to say, that's the dance. Of yeah. course it's not formulaic. Yeah. And sometimes you might need to say, you know what, I'm going to take on more, but I'm going to give the back some more strength. Yeah. I'm going to sleep more or, or whatever. You know, the analogy is going to be individualized to every person, but yeah, it works. All right. I hope that helped. Well, friends, from this show, I trust you have some hope in dealing with your physical maladies and hope for bolstering yourself to keep those maladies at bay. Again, you can connect more with Dr. James at his practice, truelifemedicine.com, or our new show together, The True Life Show. Go find that wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our industry-changing alternative to traditional health insurance True Life Protect, medical cost sharing. And as always, if you got value from the show, a brilliant way to thank us, leave a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Coming up next in episode 701, we talk about building a habit machine for your life. Inciting what he most wanted to impart to the Ziegler audience, David Meltzer replied, I want to challenge the audience to build a habit machine. David was our guest in show 699 titled How to Make Decisions with Confidence. And I started off the show fawning over the fact that he was one of the main consultants for the movie Jerry Maguire. Well, his new book is Game Time Decision Making, High Scoring Business Strategies from the Biggest Names in Sports. In this show, of course, we walk through his personal habits. Some highlights for me, David cited he spends much of his life with the perspective of family. He spent, he spent it with the perspective of family and work coming first, but now feels his personal physical wellness must come first because without that, he can't serve his family or his work well. It's really interesting to hear. Uh, thus, he spends an hour per day on his health. The last year and a half, he's seen some of the greatest growth in his personal relationships after he started some habits of consistent communication, which you'll hear more. Being a student of his calendar is a big aid for his mental peace and wellness. Uh, He's shameless in making money a priority as with it, he says he can shop for the things he needs to do uh, that he needs for what he wants and needs to do. In regards to that, he views his primary vocational activity, doing things he gets paid for. Again, it was a really interesting talk on money and he believes our culture has a happiness problem and a big personal focus is learning to love all that he is doing. You're going to gain a lot from this show folks till then. Thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <laughs>